You are listening to an MLGA Network podcast. Welcome to Thank You for Your Servers, a show which looks at the tech news of today, but from a libertarian perspective. Now here are your hosts, Thaddeus and Gary. Thank you for logging into Thank You for Your Servers. (laughs) I'm Thaddeus Preston, a.k.a. Nick Way, and joining me as always is Gary Guthrie. How you doing, sir? I'm doing good. All right. Well, this is our almost weekly rants about the tech topics of the week from a Liberty perspective. This and other podcasts are brought to you by the Make Liberty Great Again Network of Podcasts. And so let's get into it right now. Gary. Yes. Be real with me, man. Yeah. Are you a climate change denier? <laughs> Am I a climate change denier? Way when, to boil, have way you to, ever been or <laughs> way to lead this down and into a forced yes or no question? Wow, um, yes, I, I will say I am. All right. Well, <laughs> we would be in agreement with that. But here's here's the thing, right? I think, if, and don't you know, let me talk for you or anything or anything like that. When it comes to this subject. I would assume you have the sort of nuanced approach to climate change denierism that most people who are free thinking do. And that is this. I don't deny that humans have an effect. They're not alone. But let's be real. We're here. We have an effect on our environment as a whole. Um, So, yeah, I'm pretty sure we have something to do with the climate. At the same time, What I don't agree with and what I don't like is this sort of, and I use the word a lot, but lately, but I, it it absolutely positively um, is what I think it is. It's become evangelical. It's become a mass psychosis of people that believe that everything that we do, no matter how benign or no matter how destructive has some effect on the climate. And by virtue of that effect on the climate, that catastrophe um, will, will ensue. And that only through sacrifice today do we have absolution in the future for a pristine and or um, quiescent climate that we have no idea what that is. I would agree. Yeah. um, So it's the method of which we need to handle it that I have um, disagreement with. I am not against the fact that maybe, just maybe, if carbon is to be our measure of us not being efficient – with the natural resources that God has given us, then maybe, just maybe, um, the climate crisis is not a crisis per se in the sense that, like, we have to stop everything we're doing. We just have to figure out more efficient ways to do what we're doing. So, you know, but at the end of the day, um, people who have been, I guess, in this this cognitive echo chamber of the last 25, 30 years that says that climate change, global warming, you know, climate crisis, all things that have gone wrong from wildfires in Australia to pandemics that are breaking out. We'll talk about the coronavirus here, coronavirus here shortly, um, is due to climate change. Sure. But, I mean, here's the deal, man. I think the scientific consensus is coming to the conclusion that without nuclear and other options, 
um, that even if we achieve net zero and net, uh, new emissions globally, we're going to continue to add extra heat uh, at the same rate that we're adding today, even if we had to stop tomorrow. Yeah. So that tells me then that the draconian measures for which we want to enforce on people, right? Because here we are a libertarian podcast and we are all about the liberty and what energy is, if you, you may not like it, but energy is freedom. Energy enables liberty. Energy brings prosperity. And no scheme, Paris or Kyoto, is going to take, uh, is going to, it takes that into account when it comes to human progress or freedom, period, point blank. It's a, as I call it, the unstoppable force of climate change and the hysteria and the hysteria and the psychosis that comes with being in that camp, meeting the immovable object of human progress, which human beings are not, I repeat, not going to live less. Right. So I think we need, I think we need to get over this. Yeah. I think we need to start embracing things that are going to be a lot more sustainable in the sense that like not sustainable for the planet, but sustainable for mankind. Will human beings do it? This this always has, and I've said this many times, you know, the, to me, the question of climate change, it, it's like you said, it's unstoppable. It's happening, whatever. But it's not a question of manipulation. It's a question of adaptation. We need to stop with the arrogance that we can fix this as human beings. We can reverse this as human beings. No, the planet's going to do what the planet does. Whether we contributed to it or not, is almost irrelevant, really. The The fact of the matter is we're seeing patterns change and we're seeing things, you know, move around. How do we adapt to that for our own uh, survival? And there seem to be honest actors now who are starting to come to that conclusion. Um, and I think the one, uh, we have it in the show notes, it's a USA Today op-ed, uh, Hat tip to Ryan for kind of putting this in the show notes uh, or in the stories section of our Discord about uh, if you want to stop climate change, embrace the nuclear option. Yes, people don't like hearing that, right? With In light of the fact that we have tons of movies over the last 20 years that have basically made nuclear out to be the most evil thing you could possibly do mm-hmm. and that it'll kill you silently and it'll kill millions silently. It is part of the energy mix. Yeah. Right. We have to embrace technologies that are going to at the at the production and mitigate the amount of CO two that we produce. Um, that that basically means embracing like um, still uh, fossil fuels in the form of natural gas. That means understanding fracking and hydraulic fracking better and making it safer, but at the same time not getting rid of it as a alternative to pulling stuff out of the ground. It's carbon sequestration. It is direct air carbon capture carbon to capture. And it is planting more trees. It is being. It is using regenerative agriculture techniques. It is doing sustainable farming and 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 grazing techniques. All these things can be achieved today and tomorrow. And can be achieved in the coming decades. But nuclear has to be the linchpin of all of this. And if it be molten salt reactors, much more advanced reactors, modular reactors, which is something that. Um, Lots of companies are working on. I know Rolls-Royce is, we alluded to it last week, that Rolls-Royce is stepping into the game for small modular reactors and is doing a pilot project in the UK. There have been tons of companies in the United States that have tried this over the last 20 years. Bill Gates, with his investment in TerraPower, was trying to build a demonstration power plant in uh, China before the Trump administration, in all of its wisdom, decided to get into a ugly tariff trade war. 
um, that basically put the kibosh on that um, that reactor. So not only now is that reactor not going to be built in China, which would have been uh, we, we should say we should say the quiet part out loud. Would have been regulatorily from a regulatory perspective e- easier to do. But now they're going to have to spend billions of dollars to build it here, a demonstration plant here in the United States to prove their reactor design. Reactor designs, there are tons of brand new reactor designs. None of them have been implemented in any construction of anything in the last, I, don't, I, I dare I say, 40 30 years. 40, well, when, 40 you years. Con- when you consider the amount of lead time it takes just to get the approval to build a reactor of any type, um, you know, by the time, typically what we've seen is by the time it's actually approved and built and in operation, it's obsolete. Correct. As well as the control systems and mechanisms that make them safer. Yeah. Look, if we could compress that time and implement the technologies of today, particularly when it comes to automation, it doesn't even have to be uh, machine learning or AI, which is going to be a huge component in really maintaining the automation systems, but the, the advances in automation systems, the newer techniques with molten salt reactors, the money that is finally going into these thorium reactors, right? at least research in these thorium reactors, all these are, are part of a broader energy mix that is going to allow us to do, in, uh, in this one uh, Physics Today article, the direct carbon capture. Um, which is pretty sweet technology if you think about it. Um, it's basically like extracting the CO2 directly from the atmosphere using giant fans in the chemical process. Um, this would be cool. And I know there are actually some patrol, evil petroleum companies, i.e. energy companies. They're more energy companies than petroleum companies, though 90% of their business is petroleum, um, that are wanting to make this as part, bring this online as part of their energy mix, particularly with the, uh, under the auspices of the fact that eventually at some point governments are going to start taxing carbon, um, which I think is asinine. But hey, what do we do, right? I mean, some cities tax water, rainwater. I mean, you know, if there's, if there's something that people are gaining some advantage of, or if there's something that can be produced, there's something that can produce a revenue stream for the state, the state will tax it. Every time. Um, every time. It d- doesn't matter. It's, you know, I mean, you're hearing rumblings about regulations of AI and stuff like that because you've, this is what happens when you send, when you send your, your kids to Roman schools, to use the, the analogy. They come home as Romans. Or when you send your kids to statist schools, they come home as statists. Yep. And they think that all problems can be solved by the, basically, I'll use the, I'll use the term, right? Because we're going to get very philosophical on this podcast here. The violence of the state. Yeah. Um, and, and so, like, all there's there's so many skeptics out there of even these. Uh, so there's direct air uh, CO2 capture. There's bioenergy with uh, carbon capture and storage, which is basically a hybrid of the two. So not only are you capturing the CO2 directly from the atmosphere, you're then using it to burn. It, you, you're using it to, so you could burn and create more fuel or you're storing it. And, of course, the natural solutions, which um, reforestation, avoiding deforestation, forest management, which California is terrible at. Um, Case in point, the place burns to the ground every spring. Every single Um, spring, yeah. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Um, And then, you know, uh, regenerative, uh, uh, restorative agriculture, regenerative uh, uh, management of agriculture practices. I mean, these are all things that 
we can do that don't put the the almost punitive costs that are going to be associated with trying to implement the Paris Accords, which again, like the Kyoto Protocols, are worthless. They're going to be worthless. Yeah. Um, the French have already tried, as the namesakes of their capital city, uh, put in some of these Paris Accord effects. And if you've heard of the Yellow Vest protest, which has been going on for the better part of two years almost, because they, they've tried to implement these draconian climate change measures, people are burning cars and, and, and causing havoc in the streets every weekend. So, again, people are messy. People may talk a good game when it comes to, oh, yeah, I want to do my part for the environment. Yeah, I want to do my part. You know, I don't want to contribute to this, you know, this, this, this catastrophic climate change. I care about my children's future. When you begin the implementation process and you explain to them, well, you can explain to them and they'll be like, ah, that sounds like it's not that bad. But when you implement these things, people are like, oh, hell to the no. And um, we can get there better. We can have, we can, this is one of the few things where we can sort of have our cake and eat it too. We can be, if we could switch 50% of the world's energy mix to thorium nuclear or thorium nuclear reactors, uranium nuclear reactors, plutonium reactors, whatever, right? I don't know the the extent of what the technologies are. Then you, then we could deal with the climate capture, uh, the climate, the CO2 capture that needs to be done. We could become, you know, very net, uh, net zero, right? Or we could move as close to net zero. As we could get close we, to it. We're never going to we be get close. We're never going to get there. No, right? you, you can't. I mean, the bottom line is any energy movement results in waste. It results in, it, there's no such thing as a hundred percent efficient energy usage. I don't care Correct. what technology there, it is. Solar, no such wind, thing as a carbon neutral, yeah, carbon neutral renewables. Yeah, right. that, it'll that's, never that's a, happen. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a weird talking point because it's absolutely impossible. <laughs> I, yeah. I mean, I it's get, true. I get the the personal responsibility. You know, we want to talk about the liberty angle of this. You know, there is a personal responsibility thing. I shouldn't be driving around a twelve mile per gallon SUV as my commuter car, if I don't really need to, you know, if I need to haul something, if I need it, okay, I'll use it. But why should I be wasting? I mean, my own resources really, um, doing that and contributing to whatever damage I'm doing to the environment. I shouldn't, right. you know, yeah. I have a personal responsibility to kind of be as efficient as I can at my micro level. That is what has always been, it's always kind of, I guess not necessarily tick me off, but it's all, all, always like the, the obvious reasoning for doing this sh shouldn't be moral. It should be like, oh, this is wasteful. Right. Like this is, a, you know, I, all you have to do is look to the tech, tech industry and particularly the proliferation of data centers and particularly these poli uh, the proliferation of the data centers that allow this cloud infrastructure to allow us to become you know do what we're doing here right now mm -hmm. and their emphasis is on being as efficient as possible right you yeah. know yeah you know they do the whole all right well we want to not contribute to climate change blah 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 i think it's pr oh it's I totally realistically PR. i think it's realistically it's like you just don't want to waste any energy 
right? Because it costs you money. Because it costs you money. Absolutely. And, you know, and it's funny, right? Like these, these, you know, the climate change enthusiasts who want, recognized this many years ago when they started saying like, well, we should price carbon, right? Which, again, all right, they understand that that market mechanism, but they don't tend to understand the other market mechanism that if you make energy cost prohibitive, then you start to slowly enforce poverty. And then you basically are now asking for for intervention from the state, this very same state that has put in place the very carbon markets that have driven up the cost of energy, now you're asking for the state to intervene to help the the, the less fortunate who now cannot pay the new higher prices, and this who is, can't pay for the new expensive the, electric vehicles. This is the uh, conspiracy theory, right? That, you know, all along, this is their plan. <laughs> Yeah, we're yeah, we're yeah. going I, to I, increase I, regulation and thus increase cost and create dependency at the poverty level, right? I don't personally buy into that, but to say no, that I, I don't, I don't think so either. But I think, <laughs> that, but one can only one only has to look at the effects that these these regulatory policies have had from an energy perspective to not think that maybe, just maybe. Particularly you, Gary, you live in California, and every oh, yeah. year it's just like, ah, let's just put some more taxes on the fuel, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then people buy fuel-efficient vehicles. It's like, well, we're not getting nearly as much. Oh, we're, yeah, we're vehicle. seeing that. There's penalties now. Um, there's, like, additional taxes. I, uh, what was it? it? I don't know if they've implemented it yet, but they're floating uh, additional taxes for fuel-efficient vehicles now because they're losing <laughs> revenue at the fuel pump. <laughs> I'm like, come on, you can't, it's one, you can't have both. You can't say we are going to be the most efficient energy use, carbon neutral state in the nation, but we're going to depend on the taxes of overuse of fuels to survive. You can't have both. Yeah, no, no, it's, it it just dumbfounds me. And they don't think that that has, that is a contributing factor to income inequality, Right. They don't. They ignore regulatory policy. They ignore monetary policy. They ignore fiscal policy, and they ignore all these things. And then they wonder why. Like, why is there such income inequality? Why did the gig economy take off? The gig economy was nothing more than a, um, for lack of a better word, a market mechanism or a market reaction to the fact that it was becoming unaffordable to have one job because the cost of everything has gone up. I'm like, oh, you know, and now they're going to, now, now because of the climate change, I'm going to say it, hysteria. They're going to drive up the cost of meat. They're going to drive up, they've driven up the cost of food, right? I mean, you want people to eat more plant-based stuff, but you make it cost prohibitive to produce plant-based stuff. Um, it's crazy. You know, uh, it's crazy. It's like, like, are you guys even looking at the inputs? That are gonna that that you want to build on this vegan climate, you know, carbon neutral planet of yours. That's it's it's unicorns. Yeah, it's 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 unicorn. You know, it's just like what do you think? What are we gonna power? For instance, like we need more renewables and stuff like that to make solar panels. Burning coal is necessary to transform silicon dioxide into the requisite purified silicon. Yeah. And so, and well, so, and that's the that's the piece that everybody ignores, right? It, what goes into the manufacture of this stuff, you know? It's from the lithium ion batteries that you want in your electric car. Have you seen open pit lithium salt mining? <laughs> <laughs> 
Right. So, How are I, we contributing you know, to the, you know, and not to mention the transport of the materials and the vehicles via ship that are, you know, not necessarily you, very efficient. I mean, maybe no, they because are. Because they're using, using fuel, right? Because because of nonproliferation and silliness. There right. are no, there are, there are only militaries have nuclear powered vessels. Right. Right. <laughs> so I'm just like, it's, it's, it's dumbfounding. Like the, the energy mix that we need is here, right? At least going forward, we're not going to have fusion reactors for a while. Really, the natural progression for using the atom as an energy source is nuclear, thorium reactors, and then finally fusion reactors, right? Right. That, that's the progression. That's where we need to move toward. Um, and, you know, I, I'm, I, I was very uh, shocked that in physics today there was someone breaking down, like, all these solutions. And, and like, there's, the solutions are there. Yeah. Right? Today, even if you want to price carbon at 100 what is it, I think $100 a ton, um, you, could do less, you could do better than that. I think the free market could do better than that if the arbitrary pricing structure for carbon is baked into the cake. If you're going to tax it, which I think would be um, horrible. It's not um, a solution. Yeah. It's, it's, it's not a solution. You're, you're, you know, and, and here's the deal. The Paris Accords and, and to a lesser extent, the Kyoto, the Kyoto Protocols, which were its predecessor. Um, China didn't follow those. India is not going to follow, follow the Paris Accords. Right. Do you think up-and-coming African nations have the, I don't know, what is it, the economic uh, runway to, 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 to implement such of these things? They have trouble keeping their water clean and taking and taking care of their garbage, right? I mean, they're dealing with foodborne foodborne illnesses all the time. Um, you know, the question in Africa is not necessarily even starvation anymore. It's disease, war, and 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 and, and climate de- and basically environmental degradation through growth, or really inefficiency and corruption, mm-hmm. right? Um, the famines, for the most part, on the continent of Africa were always government made. The climate was just like um, it was one of the other contributing factors. Um, it was always it was always government made. It was always government, you know, not sponsored to seek, but it was government created. It was always that. That's what killed millions of people across the continent in the seventies and eighties. Yeah, and it's um, amazing to me that you know the a lot of the uh, climate evangelists. I like I, I kind of like that term, but the the climate evangelists will sit there and they will make these loose connections between human activity and climate change all day long, but they won't even consider the same connections between the famines and government activity. They can't connect those dots or they won't connect those dots. Right. So it's, it's kind of, you know, hypocritical and self-serving the way that they approach their arguments and the way that they present their, their, their premises. It's like, well, you know, okay, if you want to do that, great but you know let's look at the reality of some other things that are happening right now and have been happening for you know since recorded history began yeah i believe that the, the connection between amp is it uh, basically man-made climate change and extreme weather events over the last 20 years is dubious at best but i can I can draw a direct correlation between human intervention in the economic affairs, the social affairs of man, and I can point directly. There's direct correlations. You 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 can draw that line. 
You can, um, but they won't. They won't. Yeah. Um, you know, so people, but I think there's some people starting to realize, I mean, blame the climate deniers, right? There's some crazy guys out there that think that it's all this massive conspiracy and stuff like that, which, you know, yeah, no. Um, but, but here's the deal, right? You can thank skeptics and deniers for basically telling, you know, pushing back against this scientific consensus that it's like, no, this is, a lot of this is crap. Um, I can, you know, there are bits and pieces of it that I'm like, okay, yeah, maybe, you know, maybe, you know, maybe the emergence of, uh, certain types of disease and stuff like that will be a direct result of the warming, but we are not a hundred, we are not a hundred percent certain that we are the chief contributor to the warming. Right. The one thing I, I, I always thought was odd and there were some, you know, some scientists in some small corners who've been ostracized who've said the same thing where it's just like the cycles of the sun might have much more to do with our climate change than what we contribute. Yeah. And yeah, we, we see it on other planets too. Mars goes through climate change and we've observed it, you know, but that's not to say that again, I, I, you're right. We need to take a responsible approach to the data that we have. And I think part of the problem is we have this big cultural issue where you have to pick one side. You have to either believe 100% that humans are the sole cause of, of climate change, or you have to be a complete denier and, um, you know, go off the deep end on the left side or the right side, whatever side it is. But yeah, whatever. Yeah, you, yeah. You I know. don't. I don't. I don't want to co-sign to any of those. No, I think they're both insane. It's stupid. <laughs> both. Yeah, both sides are stupid. There's got to be something in the middle that makes sense. And I don't. I know I don't have the answers to what that is. I know Greta Thunberg doesn't have the answer to what that is. I don't think anybody has the answer to what that is, but what we need is a healthy approach where we say, okay, let's take a step back and acknowledge a few things that may be possible rather than make the assertion that this is the end all cause. Right. Mm -hmm. And, but that takes, and we talk about this a lot, uh, the cultural change that needs to happen that takes generations for people to realize, oh my God, this is stupid to take an absolutist approach to a very complex problem before we even have all of the data. Exactly. And, and basically to kind of pull the, the, the dovetail and really put a nice fine bow on this whole subject is that achieving, you know, this, this author of the uh, USA Today piece here, uh, Brett okay, was it Kungluma, Kunglumas, I don't know, uh, basically who does he work for? He works... He's a managing director of the Energy Impact Center, and so he wrote this op-ed that basically Ryan brought to our attention, and he basically says achieving net zero isn't enough. Mm-hmm. And basically, he's basically saying like the term net zero means that every ton of greenhouse gas that is currently emitted will be either eliminated outright or offset. Um, you know, you know that's and he brings up some astronomical number. And he says that that's a lot of fuel, heating homes, moving goods, power and industry that needs to be replaced. Although certainly difficult, it's not impossible. But what then? Does the temperature stop rising? Think again. And so basically he's saying, it's just like we've put so much up there that our, our, our budget 
for what's in the atmosphere has been greatly exceeded. And so there's it, it would it, it'll take a millennia of all the approaches that I discussed um, to pull the trillions of tons uh, that have been put into the atmosphere over the last two centuries. Mm-hmm. And so to me, it just seems like then, you know, I don't think we should go down a, I don't think we should go down a very extreme and net zero approach. The Thunberg approach, the new, the green new deal approach is lunacy and the Paris accords are silly. Um, they're modest, yeah. right? They're, they're the conservative option when it comes to that. And even then, when France attempted to try to implement themes, implement them, they've, they've, been, they've gone through a year and a half, almost two years of riots. Um, and so <laughs> it's, 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 and then at the same time, they want to get, they want to close their nuclear uh, energy capacity, right? They want to start bringing their energy capacity down by closing more nuclear power plants in France, who is the actual, is the, is the poster child for a net nuclear economy. Like, for when I lived in Europe in the early 2000s, the Germans embarked on this green energy crap. Um, they built windmills everywhere. They were decommissioning coal-fired power plants. They were getting rid of their nuclear power plants. And they ran into tons of issues. So guess who came to the rescue when it came to you know, energy export? France. France had more capacity... Than it need, than it, than it, than it could consume, and so they would. They're literally, they literally are a net energy seller, electricity seller to Germany and Northern Italy, because they have all these nuclear power plants. Seventy right. at the time, at the, at the time, like seventy-five or eighty percent of their power was derived from nuclear power, and um, and they were just exporting it because they just had so much of it. And it's like they're, they're like we should be more like France on that front. Yeah. Um, there should be no reason. We should, you know, we should be exporting coal, not burning it. We should be, um, well, we're back into the game of exporting um, oil um, after almost a 30, 40 year hiatus because we don't need to burn as much. We're super efficient here. Um, we have natural gas, hydroelectric, and nuclear should be like, those are your net zeros. Um, those, those are going to get you better. Those are going to get you more to the goal that you want. That is, we're putting less out there. And yeah, like, so you're telling me it doesn't really matter if we just shut the economy down tomorrow, the, the heating of homes, the moving of goods, the pairing of industries. We, we, we power all that down tomorrow, right? Because, you know, we need to be able to get to net zero. It still doesn't matter. Yeah. So you're going to plunge human beings into, you know, a, a dark age for probably half a century until technology catches up with your dreams. And, and what will we have done? Nothing. We are still going to warm up. Yep. Um, yeah, we will. So that's, that's something to be said. There's the technologies are out there. And we need to embrace them because, you know, this, this, this stuff is extreme. Um, and these, these, and they're extremists on both sides, but this the, the side that I fear the most is the side that has the ear of the state who is going to push hard, hard. And you know this because you live in the very state that yeah. has embraced this stuff for the last 30, 40 years. And so dumb. It ain't cheap to live in California, if you haven't noticed. For some, mm-hmm. of, for some of us who've been there from the outside looking in, 
for those of us who already live there, we or you being that person, it ain't cheap. No, it's not. And then and there the regulations and the rules. I mean, they go down to the 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 worst level. Like we we have these weird no burn days supposedly that I I still haven't determined if it's really a a law or if it's a recommendation that's enforced with an iron fist. But yeah, we're you know twenty four hours no no burning of any wood at all to which i go out and i build a nice fire in my backyard (laughs) and i roast some marshmallows i mean come on yeah we have those kind of here but like they stopped doing them because really what would happen is just wait for a storm front to blow through and it typically clears out the valley yeah um and then you then you have inversion which is something we have no control over yeah. Um, where that stuff gets trapped anyway, depending on, you know, it being cool air, hot air at the higher altitudes, cool air at the lower altitudes, hence inversion, hence things tend to get trapped mm-hmm. in the valley. And really, we get, storm, we get a storm system that blows through once a week or once every two weeks. That typically clear, clears it out. And so we used to, but we, I don't think we have them anymore. I, I, I remember them in the early 2000s having them, but... Um, like no burns in Bernalillo County, which is the county north of me, um, but it didn't really matter. No one, no one paid attention to it. We're, you know, we're a third world state. We kind of do what we want. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so I mean, I don't know. That was that was our rants about being climate change deniers. Hopefully, it's a much more you you listened to our perspective and you know that there is a certain degree of climate change denial that I'm willing to embrace and some I'm not, and that it is much more nuanced than simply it's not happening at all. Um, to, to, you know, to summarize, Oh, I'm pretty sure it's happening, but I don't think the detrimental effects are nearly as, as catastrophic as the, you know, catastrophists say. Right. That said, so speaking of the, well, I guess we could, I don't want to fall into their premise, but Climate change is supposed to, as it gets worse, is supposed to um, enable certain pandemics. And the pandemic du jour that is going on now is the coronavirus outbreak called the 2019 novel novel coronavirus. Yep. It was uh, detected in uh, Hunan City uh, in this unpronounceable province in China. Wuhan Wuhan City, Hubei province? Is that? Ooh, very Ube? good. Ube, yeah. No, that yeah. actually sounds pretty close. Yeah, I have um, a little Chinese, probably one one thousand twenty fourth, mm, maybe. Is that is that based on twenty three of me, or is that just the fact no. that you live on the West Coast? It's just based on my own uh, statement. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right, on the updates here. So based on the latest updates as of this broadcast, there have been fourteen thousand five hundred and fifty confirmed cases worldwide. 19,544 suspected cases, 304 fatalities, all of which have been in China, 2,110 in serious or critical condition of the, I guess, uh, 14,550 cases, Um, 228 in China treated and released. Um, You know, so this has been the biggest uh, daily increase so far. 24 countries are reporting cases. That's Germany. That's uh, the United States. I think Canada, um, I, I'd have to look and see with 100% certainty. So, 
according to the CDC, who, you know, I mean, it's, you know, for those of you who are conspiracy theorists and don't trust the CDC, at the very least, let's let's listen to what they have to say. Uh, so the Chinese health uh, officials have reported thousands of infections of this virus. Um, it's spread from person to person in many parts of the and, and, of China so far, which is um, increasingly disturbing, being that you do not have to be asymptomatic to be contagious. And so that and we just and, and we symptoms. just had one go for person to person in New York City, I believe, uh, in the there past was, few days. There was that, and there was one in Chicago where a, a a woman who was visiting Hunan Province had come back home and had transmitted it to her husband. And of course, now they're in quarantine. They're sort of in quarantine or in treatment because they had a, I think they have a, a toddler. Mm. Um, and so, um, um, coronavirus. Coronaviruses, because I guess this is a family of viruses, are largely a family of viruses that are common in many uh, different species of animals. Camels, cattle, cats, bats. Um, um, rarely, uh, animal coronavirus can infect people and then spread, um, you know, between persons, MERS, SARS, um, you know, avian flu, etc. Um, so, you know, this, this happens. Viruses jump species. Um, there are some weird practices in that part of, the, of China. Um, yeah. I don't think it was mainly eating bat soup. Yeah, <laughs> That's some of the memes I've seen. No. Um, but they eat strange crap. And within that strange crap, where typically these, where these coronaviruses uh, are incubate, and you know they can jump species because they, viruses have a, this beautiful and nasty tendency to mutate. Um, and that's why you can't kill viruses. Viruses have to run their course and your immune system deals with them. Um, so yeah, it's this, uh, I'm wondering, and we had discussed this kind of in the pre-show, um, in light of this story from, um, uh, I guess Engadget about Apple closing all of its stores, in um, China as, uh, as a temporary measure. All, all their offices and stores will be closed until like the 9th of February. Um, and so, you know, they're, you know, is this going to have a adverse effect on the logistical footprint of a lot of tech companies, particularly tech companies that do manufacturing in and around parts of China? Um, granted, the virus is, con is confined mostly to western china does being that it was lunar new year during the you know during the beginnings of this outbreak and that people are going from east to west west to east yeah, has that caused will that have an inevitable costs on the logistics of um what is it um the province uh, that does all the manufacturing like i don't know if it's is it Hunan or, or whatever the manufacturing region of, of on the east coast of China? Will that have any 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 deleterious effects? Foxconn seems to think it seems to be like nah, we're good. Nah, we're good. Um, so they seem to be fine. But again, you know, this is the same company that you know people were jumping off buildings, committing suicide because the shifts were too hard. So I mean, you know, and and so it's it's. It, you know, they, they don't have the best track record of, of... So the Chinese authorities don't have the best track record of telling the truth. 
Right. Yeah. Or, the numbers, or the, the numbers about I'm life. seeing are reported all over the place. And I don't know what to believe. Is it 14,000? Is it 90,000 that supposedly some whistleblower in China is claiming? Who knows? It, it, right. I don't know if and what's the matters. and what's the mortality rate, right? Like what's you know, you know, how, how lethal is this? I'm hearing anywhere from five to ten percent, which kinda makes it kind of fall in line with the flu, right? I mean yeah. it's, And it, and, it, and it, I've seen that, you know, of course the the your high risk people are gonna be more prone to suffer adverse effects from it, but you know, generally healthy people I've seen reports where it says, oh, it's just, it's basically like a common cold. So yeah. I, I don't, you know, I don't know. Is there overhype about this? Is it just because it's new and there's not a lot known about it and we're being overcautious? Um, are there agents of the government using this as a control tactic? You know, again, to go to the conspiracy side of things. Yeah, I've seen some um, of those. Not that I think that there are, but. Um, right, I've seen I've seen some of those stories where you know, all right, all right, guys, let's 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 not get crazy. Yeah, let's chill out um, now. <laughs> let's chill out a little bit, but um, yeah, like a same, you know, you know, Zero Hedge has you know, it's it's sensationalized stories and stuff like that. But I mean, some of it are true. Like I mean, um, Beijing is sending. They're saying that like you know, six million people are next to this province, right? I mean, they've quarantined. Heard anywhere from sixty-five million to seventy million people. Basically, they can't leave these cities. Yeah, they've been putting um, up roadblocks and yeah, all right. Kinds of I mean, things. they've shut down all transportation to this part of the country. Um, so it's you know it's they're taking it very seriously. As of today, this podcast, which is not to date it, but you know uh, February second, there's a, a very strict uh, travel ban. Um, most major airlines of the U.S. no longer will fly to China, or there are many European airlines that are not going to fly to China. The Russians have closed their borders. Um, so you know, you know, and then of course we had so what? How many people were evacuated? 195 were evacuated from the province that are at March Air Force Base now, yeah. or March Air, Air Reserve Base is what it's called now, that are under 14 day basically quarantine. Yep. Um, you know, um, they're you know the immigration restrictions are going to be put into place. So, you know, everyone's maybe overreacting, but I mean, they're doing what governments are, are want to do. Right. I mean, you know, they do have some justification for why they're implementing these measures. So is this enough to be worried about? Uh, not, my gut is not yet. Mm -hmm. And long-term, I don't think at all. I mean, I went to, West Africa during the Ebola scare and like it wasn't a big deal particularly yeah. in Nigeria because they just closed the borders um and so um they kind of kept it at bay i think Nigeria had the least amount of cases of west in West Africa um yeah i went there in it um there were other things going on like elections and mass travel and stuff like that um no one died um, the people who die all the time from Ebola are the same people who die. It emerges from the jungle every five years. It kills some, some thousands of people, which is tragic, and then it subsides again. Um, and so, you know, there have been Ebola outbreaks. There was a major Ebola outbreak last year that didn't get a whole lot of attention. Um, but we've gotten better at taking care of these pandemics. 
Yeah. And I think we're, we've gotten, I, I think we can come up with cures or at the very least treatment regimens that will mitigate the amount of people who die. And, and then mainly the amount of people who die are going to be people who are young or elderly and or unhealthy. Um, they're, they're already one, compromised. Yeah. Yeah. Right, they're pretty compromised. And the, thing I think that's caused most some of the deaths with this virus is the fact that you are immunocompromised uh, after the effects of the virus, which leaves you open to other things that you would normally be able to fend off, but then you can't. It almost acts kind of like AIDS in that way. Um, yeah. But all yeah. I think all diseases really make you immunocompromised if they knock you down, um, and then they make you susceptible to other types of infections and or, uh, or illnesses yeah. that you would normally be able to fight off, but because you're so immunocompromised, you, you, you succumb to those symptoms of something else that's not the Kenora virus. So, you know, that's that's one aspect of it, and there's some conspiracy theories floating around about that, about how the, the disease seems to have markers of being engineered, but eh, it remains to be seen. <laughs> right? Yeah, I, I, haven't, you know, I have not seen any compelling yeah, stories on I, that, other than I, the... I don't, you know, the knee-jerk reaction stuff of, well, what if, okay, I'm done with what ifs, you know? Right. Um, Ebola wasn't that big of a deal here. Um, I think this, I think we'll, we'll, we're going to get more cases, don't get me wrong. We will, um, yeah. Um, but I don't think there's going to be a terrible amount of death associated with it. Um, no. And I, and I think we'll be fine. And, and the beautiful thing about this, I find, is... The, which is kind of morbid to say is more data. We'll figure this out. Yeah. Um, we mentioned that last week talking about, uh, you know, autonomous vehicles. Yeah. The, the um, autonomous. And, yeah. And particularly when they fail. Right. Um, we, we have and, data. We will learn. This is, this is a good thing. Yeah. So that's what I can really say and care to say about the Kenora virus. I mean, we got stuff in the show notes. There's conspiratorial stuff from Zero Hedge. There's, you know, the adverse effects that this has had in the market, the adverse effects that it could possibly have with coronavirus affecting iPhone production. All what-ifs, things that haven't happened. Yeah. Um, we'll let this play out over the course of the next couple of weeks, and we'll see if it subsides. And being that we have the Iowa caucuses tomorrow, and then we have, well, the Super Bowl today, the Iowa caucuses tomorrow, and the State of the Union on Tuesday, I think this will get buried. <laughs> right? <Yeah. laughs> Unless Maybe. something catastrophic happens. Yeah. So, well, anyway, so with that said, uh, I guess we're done on that. Doesn't really affect tech much, but eh, just something to think about. So now I move on to the big topic. The one thing that I actually did a mini episode about, about a, you know, over the holiday, um, particularly when it came to like Silicon Valley. So, for those of you not familiar, I will go back. If you go back to the mini episode that I did, oh, how long ago was that? I can't. I can't remember. Here. It was I probably that. what three weeks ago. That was right around yeah, uh, Christmas three weeks ago. time. No. Yeah, it was. I think it was Christmas. It was just a little mini episode, and basically, yeah. what it was about, honestly, was um, basically Silicon Valley engineers are starting to doubt the wisdom of working at a startup particularly a startup in Silicon Valley. And basically, it started from this Hacker News thread that basically kind of broke this down about, you know, um, like, 
why what is the value add anymore to starting to working in silicon valley as an engineer and having and being and working at a startup right so the bloom is off the rose where it's just like, hey, the dream is to work for a startup. And now a lot of the engineers that are going to Silicon Valley is like, ah, I'm going to work for Uber or Facebook or Alphabet or Salesforce or Twitter. Or, I'm going to work for a larger company because the startup doesn't seem to do it any good. And then in that Hacker News thread, if I'm, if I'm remembering correctly, there are a lot of people just saying like just, you know, working somewhere else in general is better. Like living in the Bay Area is expensive. And then I went into other things about code synthesis and AI applications and stuff. And the fact that, like, from a force multiplier standpoint, the need for software engineers may decrease as more low-level coding um, can be done by AI. Um, but this is more of a Silicon Valley problem that is... So that was more of an episode dealing with kind of a symptom of overall Silicon Valley as a whole. But now it's... Bec Again, Mark Zuckerberg has now said the quiet part out loud where, like, um, he says that if he were launching a new company, he wouldn't, he wouldn't do it in the San Francisco Bay Area or Silicon Valley as a whole. So the bloom is off the rose for Silicon Valley. The region is a slave to its own success, lore, and the corrosive progressive politics that have essentially made it a hellish place to live. Um, and to run a business. And to run a business, more in particularly. So bullet points from the article that I posted here. San Francisco Bay Area is home of companies such as, of course, Apple, Google, and Facebook itself. But it's experiencing a housing crisis and skyrocketing cost of living, which is why a lot of these companies are building offices outside of the Bay Area. Um, you know, he said uh, Zuckerberg in, in this, ironically enough, he was sitting in Utah at a conference talking about, you know, this. And we have a I, had a, I read a pretty awesome medium story about like, you know, tech startups in the uh, Silicon Slopes of Provo, uh, Salt Lake City area. Zuckerberg says he he had to come to Silicon Valley to find the capital and resources he needed to scale up the company, and that's still actually kind of true to this day, right? Because the Sand Hill Road down near near Stanford, right? Like all, you know, a lot of big venture capital firms are still in the region, so there's still a lot of money in the region. However, they're increasingly expanding their investments out of these areas. I know um, uh, Andreessen Horowitz is, is, invests exclusively, uh, or is getting to the point where it's investing exclusively outside of the valley because they're looking for other areas. Um, he says uh, Zuckerberg says that the social media makes it e social media makes it easier for startups to find uh, their audience. And it's easier for them to get services, um, get servers you need and the power uh, to power a new app via the cloud platforms of Azure and AWS, which is Amazon Web Services and Google and the whatnot. So the geographic advantage that Silicon Valley at one time had is slowly starting to fade. And the Valley no longer has a monopoly on the smartest engineers in the world, though there's a still a high concentration of very smart engineers in Silicon Valley. Um, so this represents a seat change of for distribution of really startup financing and tech talent. Um, you know, some of the things that are really starting to work against Silicon Valley is, of course, over the last 10 years, the press has started to turn on the region. And they've turned on the region partly based on the fact that the people who are now writing on the region no longer, who are new to the region and haven't come up 
haven't really been enamored with the lore of the region, right? It's kind of like Hollywood, where mm-hmm. like everyone wants to come to Calif- Southern California and Hollywood to be in the movies, but no movies are made hardly in Hollywood, other than pornos. But even then, I think porns are made other places now. Oh, well, yeah, um, they've got... They put all kinds of weird restrictive laws on that. So they're just like, the forget it. We won't do it here. We'll just do it somewhere else. And they're losing. They're lo- yeah. So Hollywood has lost a lot of its lunch to, I mean, Albuquerque, Atlanta, Texas, Vancouver, um, really other places. And I think, bec- and it's because, so in the Valley, I, I honestly think that a lot of the people who write about the Valley aren't enamored with it because they... Because a lot of them have grown up a very, in my opinion, corrosive progressive politics. They have a almost knee-jerk hatred of capitalism as a whole. They see the income inequality of the area, and they don't equate that to policy. They equate that to causes of the policy, and that is the gig economy. So the New Republic, which is always good at writing articles that hates everything capitalism, basically craps all over the gig economy by finding you edge cases and, 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 and uh, what is it, um, uh, what is it? Uh, what is what's the good word for these these uh, articles where they find like victims, and then they basically say this victim is um, synonymous with the entire culture of the gig economy. Um, the I don't know what you, yeah, I don't economy. know what you'd call that, but yeah, right. I know what you're talking about. Right, and so like to me, it's just it it, it makes sense. Um, but the, I, here's the last bullet point though that basically kind of illustrates that point. Not only is it more feasible for a start to start up a company outside of Silicon Valley, but there are advantages to doing so, he says. There's a lot of advantages to building a company that is not in such a monoculture. And that could mean a whole host of things. I think I know what he means. I think that I know what he's getting at. But you can, you can say the same thing when it comes to groupthink, right? Like everyone has the same ideas, right, for companies. But also, it's getting to the point where everyone has the same idea about politics and the way society should be run. What did we just discuss in our first story about the climate change hysteria? It is a, I call it a mass psychosis of puritanical, evangelical types that are zombie-like in the uttering of their same talking points. And so the region doesn't have many outside thinkers. I also feel that Silicon Valley is remarkably slave to just software. And I think what we discussed in the pre-show stuff is like it's not just software anymore. That software has to touch real things. And there are other regions of the world where like those companies, there are companies that do that. When it, you know, our, our semiconductor capital is no longer in Silicon Valley. Our semiconductor capital is Austin, Texas, and Texas as a whole. And in, if you go to Austin... And you go to the, the conferences I go to, a lot of the software that is needed is needed to drive manufacturing and things that interact with the real world. Yeah. And, and um, you can still build that type of company in Silicon Valley, but at the same time, like, particularly in the Midwest, like, there are a lot of controls, automation, and manufacturing startups, or at least enablers of using software to make manufacturing automation and controls better. They're in the Midwest. And um, because that's where most of that stuff still is. And um, I, in my region of the world, it is um, space and space and weapons. Um, in Colorado, it's um, space 
uh, renewables, energy, um, and uh, to and telecommunications, and um, and there are just these clusters around, and so there's companies that are just built around those, and you don't have to build those companies. And Silicon Valley companies are no longer Silicon Valley venture capitalists aren't just looking in San Francisco in the Bay Area anymore. Um, it's cheaper to start a software company where I am than where you are. Exact. I would never start a software company where you are. No, ever. I would. I'm, um, I would I mean, almost even not though that's start low, any company. <laughs> but even though, like, you have the most. If I, you have the most desirable location, a beautiful campus near the beach, with all that stuff. But I'm not paying anyone. I'm not paying two hundred fifty thousand dollars per employee. That's crazy. Yep. Um. Where I mean, if I'm going to spend two hundred fifty thousand dollars per employee, I'd rather do it here because that money goes further. Right. And I can do more for my employees. I can build them better amenities here. Um, the lifestyle that they desire in the progressive hellhole that they created on the West Coast is just as prevalent here. We prefer not, them not to bring it here, but it is what it is. And it, you see it all the time. Um, or you're seeing it increasingly now. And now you have Zuckerberg, who's not making a whole lot of friends in the Valley anyway because of their corrosive progressive politics, um, saying the quiet part out loud. The co-founder of Reddit was just in Birmingham last year, like, you know, um, you know, repping companies out of Birmingham that have had like exits, you know, half billion, billion dollar exits. Um, and Birmingham is has a deep tech cluster because of um, NASA um, and so in the University of Alabama, Birmingham, um, very smart people live other places. And um, it's becoming much and much. It's becoming much more prevalent now, because the Hollywood dream of moving to the valley, starting a company, and like being, you know, a multi-gazillionaire. Um, this generation, I don't think, is terribly enamored with that. Which is why you get the really you get the really shrill like articles from The Verge, and Ars Technica, and Engadget, and uh, Wired. Right, because they don't—they're not enamored with it anymore. Yeah. But uh, yeah, that—that that one was kind of shocking. Well, slightly not shocking, right? I think the culture of the valley is starting to push people away in general. And uh, you know, like I—I I was reading an article in, uh, like I said, in um, Medium about entrep the entrepreneurship that comes out of Utah. And um, I've lived in Utah, and I can tell you for a fact that I was amazed at how many tech companies were there in the mid-2000s. Um, now, it's even more companies. You know, there's a reason why the NSA built their massive data center out there. A, there's tons of room. B, there's tons of smart people. C, who aren't degenerate pieces of garbage who can get clearances. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, they, they are pretty... Uh... Pretty, uh, yeah, <laughs> pretty they're, clean. They're pretty, yeah, they're, they're clean folk. You yeah. Know? Um, and there's the deal, like people crap on Mormons all the time. I loved living in Utah. My wife loved living in Utah. It was very, so family friendly and, you know, it's on a nice sort of way. And, and yeah. you're, you're just like, you're just like, yeah, it's not that bad. 
My mother-in-law always says, she said, if it was a club, I'd join it, (laughs) but it's not a club. So, but no, you're right. It's a, the culture is very, it's clean and it's, it's friendly. It's family. It's right. It it feels Um, good. Yeah. Goldman Sachs, Microsoft, Adobe, Amazon, um, like Google ventures has tons of investments out there. I've never heard of this podium company i've never heard of them um, but apparently like they're growing by leaps and bounds and they're making and, and here's the deal they're building like these very bread and butter services right um you know they call them meat and potatoes uh somethings as a service platforms that they build things like visual diagramming software e-commerce solutions communication software for med- for medical offices task management for fast food businesses and all types of businesses Work management software for enterprises, benefits management software for enterprises, like unglamorous stuff that actually does move the needle as opposed to whatever the hell they're building out in the valley now. Um, so, like, this is this is kind of a kind of cool, even where I live. Right. Even though it's mo- main, mainly small startups and companies built to do defense contract stuff. Um yeah, there's tons of companies out here. Eighty person firms paying their engineers good money for New Mexico to like develop high powered microwave systems, um, laser optic systems. We're still a very optics focused state. Like we have, we've had a lot of companies that have got snatched up in the last twenty years that were optics based um, here, um, and you know it's. It's still a thing. It, it's it, like it just kind of it, it should give people hope that with the advent, the democratization of AI technologies, machine learning technologies, cloud technologies, and even light manufacturing, you can build pretty stable lifestyle businesses or even unicorns, so to speak, the billion-dollar valuation companies anywhere now. Yeah, it's um, very accessible. It's very accessible now, and it's no longer this. And this is just another. You're going to see, and I've seen ton of these, tons of these stories over the last couple of years. It's just that that culture there has turned against Silicon Valley, just like the culture of New York. Just like you know, the culture in New York has turned against Wall Street. And um, this is something you're going to see more and more of going forward. And it's kind of a shame, right? I still think the Valley is a very vibrant place. Um, Particularly that part of the Bay Area, I think it still think is the most beautiful part of our country. I um, even San Jose, which is eh, relatively brown, but it's still just you know Atherton. Uh, what is it, uh, Palo Alto? Um, I mean, even San Francisco, the Presidio. I think you know Pacific Heights, all these places. Just even Oakland to a certain extent, Berkeley, California. Um, you know. Um, Cupertino is real nice, and the parts of uh, Los Gatos is just, just just gorgeous. But that comes with a price, and no one can, no one. I think I don't think anyone's willing to pay that price anymore. Yeah, I think the I think people are learning, and I think the culture is changing a little bit to realize, you know what, you can only you can only paint a good picture based on your surroundings, your physical surroundings, for so long without taking into account the the cost the taxes the the regulation the you know the the toxic 
culture that mm-hmm. can be prevalent in those places. Uh, and I think you err, yeah, particularly if you think differently. Yeah, exactly. There's zero tolerance for again. It goes back to which side are you on? Are you are you A or B? It's like no, nah, I'm not, I'm not either. I'm kind of I'm kind of you know taking my time to feel this thing out. You know, mm-hmm. no, you must pick. You must be A or B. Yeah. No. Yeah. You know, and, and that and that creates stress. Yeah, I think that's yeah. I and I'm I, I very happy that a lot of these companies are opening outposts other places because from a, then that brings in a new. Then it gets it breaks up the monoculture. I right? I, I like that statement. I really do. Um, um, the concept of this one homogenous culture. No, you. you I, it's good to expose yourself to other thoughts. Yeah. And other ways of doing things and particularly other industries. Um, because the problem, you know, a lot of the reason why, and you know, and this is maybe just me talking out of turn, but the autonomous vehicle stuff, like the reason why it didn't take over is because it happened in the Valley. It was tested in the Valley, but then like they get outside the Valley and they test it in other places and they see pushback and resentment and, and things they didn't think of. Right. Because they were in this monoculture, right? Um, Waymo would probably be a lot more successful, and Tesla would probably be a lot more successful if they weren't in the mono, monolithic cultures of California as a whole, right? Because Tesla's more down in, well, their manufacturing is in uh, the Numi plant that was in Fremont. Um, and so, again, you're kind of sucked into that monoculture of the valley, um, even though the design is done outside of the valley. Um, a lot of the construct, a lot of the engineering is done in the valley. I think if you would have maybe gone to Detroit, maybe the Midwest, maybe Texas, maybe the Midwest, maybe the South, and had people who can think outside the box, or at least think outside of the box that is the monoculture for which you are building and engineering these these technologies, you, you're starting to notice things, right? For good and for bad. Um, but yeah, I. I, I Zuckerberg once again getting saying the quiet stuff out loud, right? Trying new things and understand. I think he's starting to understand that like the government's not your friend, progressives are not your friend, and there's something very toxic about the things that they're they're trying to force Facebook to do, from banning political ads to trying to do a cryptocurrency that is disrupting like the you know the the status quo, but facing just almost what's the word i'm looking for not insane um hysterical pushback yeah um what's what's interesting to me is you know seeing the way that he has to phrase and how he is because he's he's being really careful not to you know because you can say these things and if if i were to say them i'd just say them point blank and say you know what this is it's a crap environment. It's it's a crap culture. We need to move on. He's not saying anything like that, and he's being very very careful not to talk negatively about any government regulation or anything. He's kind of keeping that off from what I've seen. Um, is it, just an observation? I think it's very interesting how he's approaching these these commentaries that he's making because he's learned that the left is not his friend. And, and even the though he, that he's courted is not his friend. Exactly. He can't say it out loud, but he's saying it. Yeah. So I don't know, man. So uh, 
three cheers for Zuck. Um, but, you know, his platform still sucks. That said, <laughs> uh, I think we've about, I think we've about run our course, man. We've went a little long, but uh, good issues, good talk, good yep. breakdown, my opportunity to rant, your opportunity to rant a bit, and uh, it is what it is. Anything else? Now I think I'm going to go do my part this week and ride my electric bicycle that I brought up last episode. <laughs> uh, feels good to to ride that instead of uh, drive my gas guzzler to work. So, Yeah, lucky you. Um, I still live in the hinterlands where a gas guzzler is what I need, <laughs> though I do drive a Volkswagen Jetta, which is slightly slightly more efficient than your gas guzzling SUV. And truth be told, if I had... You know, Elon Musk money, I'd buy a Tesla or two, but I don't. So, yeah, move nor on. do I. All right. Well, ladies and gents, that about wraps up this episode of Thank You for Your Service. Thanks for logging in. Peace out. Bye. Bye.